Um, hi, everybody. Um, Dad just, when he was praying for us, he just tried to make me cry right before I came up here. So that's great, <laughs> great timing. But um, anyway, um, I'm going to be talking about the parable of the prodigal son, which I imagine probably everybody here is familiar with or has read. But um, it's something, like Dad was saying, Neil's brief to us was anything from the um, the Gospels that we wanted. And it's something that um, really, I'd been, I've been doing a Bible study through Luke with some of my friends recently, and we did, we'd done it not that long ago. And it made me cry when I was reading it, which I think I've probably cried every time I've read it, which is quite a few times. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm going to be talking about. So I'm just going to read, this is from Luke 15, uh, verses 11 to 24. And he said, there was a man, this is Jesus talking. <laughs> he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Um, So I'm going to be particularly focusing on the latter half of that um, passage. But um, I wanted to share another thing that made me excited to preach about this passage, which was um, I was few weeks ago when I was sort of starting to think about what I was going to talk about in my sermon. Um, I had a really great um, encounter with God, a very unexpected, powerful moment with God. Um, When I was just sitting in my room, I put on some worship music um, just in the background and uh, I was cutting my toenails, (laughs) sitting there in my bedroom. Um, And then one minute I was cutting my toenails, the next minute I was like sobbing. Um... Zachary came in and was like, what the heck, are you okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I was listening to a new worship album that I had listened to before. 
And a line in one of the songs just really struck me. Um, so I just read that line, which the song's called Hey Jesus. Um, and there's a line that says, Hey Jesus, I really love who you are. I know I've got a way to go. Could you walk with me that far? Um, and I just, it suddenly just really hit me in a new way that he walks with us. And I feel like I should already have known that, and I do know that, but it just hit me in a new way that I've got a way to go. I don't have to come to God ready, perfect. I I need to just turn to God, and he'll walk with me the rest of the way. Uh, And that's something that in this passage we see. The father sees his son, it says. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. So his father sees his son whilst he's still a long way off and he runs to him. And this shows, like this emphasizes his, the love that he has for his son in that he's watching out for his son. So, so he sees him when he's still a long way off and he runs to him and he embraces him. And he walks the rest of the way with his son. We also see that he... The, the, when the father embraces his son and kisses him, it says he felt compassion. His, his son had taken his inheritance and squandered it in reckless living, it says. Yet the father immediately shows his forgiveness and his compassion through embracing his son. Um, this, when I was reading this, it reminded me of um, a bit of a bit from Genesis, where uh, in the story of Jacob and Esau, which I imagine a lot of us are familiar with. Um, I remember when I was—I really distinctly remember. I don't know how old I was. I was probably—I was at kids' church once, I think. I just remember reading this, and little, however old, like seven-year-old me, was like, "That's not fair." Like, I think when you're young, you have a really black and white sense of justice, and I—I I just remember. I was like, Jacob has stolen Esau's birthright. He's stolen Esau's blessing. He's gone off for however many years to Laban and he's coming back. And I kind of wanted Esau to be angry with him and like maybe a little fight scene going on. Um, (laughs) But it says pretty much exactly what it says here. It says that Esau runs to Jacob um, and embraces him. And I think that just really clearly points to back to this passage, back to the story of the prodigal son, is that it's not really fair that, that it's not what we would necessarily think of as fair. And that's the whole point, is that it's, we don't deserve to be embraced, but that's what God does anyway. Um, just before this, that verse, we've seen the son preparing a speech that he's going to give to his father, um, where he says that he, he asks he's going to ask his father to treat me as one of your hired servants. Um, But we see that he doesn't actually get a chance to deliver that speech before the father embraces him. And that just is, that just, that's what God does to us. When we, when we turn back to God, we don't, we don't need to try and make amends and earn our way back into his presence we don't have to yeah we don't have to make amends and 
work our way back to God. We just have to turn back to him and he's there running to us with his arms open. Uh, he feels compassion and he shows his forgiveness. Um, and that's what I think grace is all about. Um, and we do, there is a key point to make though, is that at the beginning of verse 20, it says, and he arose and came to his father. And we have to turn back to God. We, that's, that's all we have to do, but that we, is something we have to do to enjoy that embrace. We have to repent. We have to turn back to God. The son realizes his sins. Um, he, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Um, he confesses his sin and he realizes that he needs to confess his sin to his father. We then go on to see that this, the father has compassion um, on his son, like we've just talked about, and em- embraces him with open arms. So what is it that stops us from turning back to God and repenting? If we know that God's arms are open to us, why don't we just repent and turn back to him? Um, I've been reading this book recently um, and I was reading a chapter on repentance and there was a bit which I'm just going to read now um, which says the problem is not that I sin sin itself doesn't keep us from God because God is gracious and he has provided a means of reconciliation through the work of his son so sin itself doesn't prevent us enjoying God The problem is either I keep my distance from God because I'm choosing sin over God or I keep my distance from God because I feel ashamed. So the two reasons stated then, the two reasons given here are that we don't repent, don't turn back to God is we're keeping our distance because we're choosing our sin over God or we are keeping our distance from God because we're embarrassed and ashamed to bring our sin before him and to confess it. Um, We see what we've been reading about. We've seen that the son initially was clearly choosing sin over his father. He was choosing reckless living um, over his father. Then towards the end of the passage, or towards the middle actually, we see he... The son swallows his pride and comes back to his father. He, he confesses his sin. Yeah, when I was reading that bit of the book, it just really challenged me. Because <laughs> it just made me think about some, one, one thing in particular, actually. And I just think it's, maybe that's something that some of you will find helpful as well, is just to think, am I choosing this sin over God? Am I putting this sin... Am I, am I, would I rather continue in this sin than turn back to God? And then secondly, it, or maybe maybe not for the, anything similar, but separate, on a separate note, am I hiding this sin from God? God already knows about it, but am I trying to hide this sin from God? Or am I bringing it before him and saying, I messed up, I'm sorry, I want to repent and turn back to you? The end of this passage... Um, the verses show the the celebration that they have when the son returns home. Uh, and this 
echoes the previous parables Jesus has just told about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the celebration that there is when those things are found. And then we see that a feast is being prepared and a celebration gets underway when the father is reunited with his lost son. The son was expecting to be treated as a servant when he came back to his father. But instead, he's, there's a feast and a celebration held in his honor. When we repent and turn back to God, that is what we can look forward to as well. When we turn back to God, when we repent we are able to enjoy his embrace once more. All we have to do is turn back to God. And he's there with his arms open. He's ready to embrace us. And he's ready for us. So, yeah, what's stopping us, (laughs) basically? Um, I'm just going to read from Psalm 32, which I think sort of summarizes... um, what I've been talking about, hopefully. Uh, It's called Blessed Are the Forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Um, Notice it doesn't say blessed is he who has never sinned. It says blessed is he who the Lord doesn't count his sin against him. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. It doesn't feel good when we're living in sin because we are not close to God. There's a barrier between us and God. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When we confess our sins, God forgives us. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Don't be stubborn. (laughs) We can't carry on stubbornly and self-righteously or making excuses for ourselves in our sin. We have to be humble um, in turning back to God. And then... When we do turn back to God, the end of the psalm summarizes, um, concludes with what we can look forward to. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Um, I'm just going to finish off by just reading the next tiny little bit from this book the how it concludes um after what happens next after we repent it says repentance doesn't sound like fun 
It involves admitting you're wrong or saying no to the pleasures of sin. But think of repentance as the gateway to the pleasures of God. It can be a squeeze sometimes passing through the gate. But on the other side is a wide open space filled with light and love. Um, Yeah, that's what we can look forward to when, when we repent and turn back to God. We can enjoy his embrace and that space of light and love. Yeah, that's, that's me done. <laughs>